Most of the time, we're trying to impress the people that we were meant to impact. Always fear the quietest man in the room. Remember the people who sacrifice to make your journey possible. Inspiration is something that you do that keeps you hungry. The biggest failure is to succeed in a life that's not you. Welcome back to another powerful episode of the Mindset Podcast. I'm your co-host, Gabriel, and every episode we bring you a dose of inspiration, wisdom, and compelling stories that are sure to take your mindset to the next level. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Stay tuned. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Mindset Podcast. Today is a very special episode for two reasons. Number one, we have a phenomenal guest, president and CEO of the Children's Trust, Mr. James Hodge, who is joining us today. But it also happens to be episode 100. 100th episode, 100th guest today. We are so excited. Thank you all so much for your support, for following along on this journey, three-year journey to get to 100. And we're so excited to kick it off with None other than Mr. Hodge, who yes. is a leader in our community and someone who so many young people, young professionals, really anybody who is in Miami-Dade County uh, aspires to live a life like. Uh, so, Mr. Cool. Hodge, welcome to the Mindset Podcast. We're excited to have you on. It's great to have you, Gabe and Anthony. Thank you very much for inviting me to have me on. And truly is an honor to be the, the 100th podcast. So, congratulations. Yeah. And at your age, to, uh, for both of you to be out in the community um, really to have community leaders of the future is, is exactly what you're doing now, getting yep. out there, networking, finding the problems, looking for solutions, and, and really, um, again, connecting the dots, connecting people. Uh, so congratulations to both of you on the 100th podcast yeah. and your trajectory for the future. Yeah, well, thank you so much. And you're, like I mentioned, a great role model for us young people to uh, to mirror, right, and and to network and to, and to do good by the community that has given us so much, right? So Thank you again for joining us. We'll go ahead and get started with our our famous uh, warm-up questions here, the first two questions. The first one is, and I think this is such a fitting question for you. Uh, it might be a little bit difficult, but nonetheless, we're excited to, to hear your answer. And that is, what is the most Miami thing you have ever done? Yeah, well, that's a hard one because, you know, I'm born and raised. I am Miami. I, I, I've been here 54 years. I've been le- left Miami for two years to go to school, but I, Let's go. I, I, I am, uh, I bleed, you know, Miami. So I guess if you probably going to the, enjoying the beautiful beaches of Miami is the most Miami thing I've ever done. Um, but watching this great city for the last probably 35 years, where it really boomed to come to, to come to the great international city is today. Uh, yeah. I've enjoyed it all throughout Miami, but the beaches are probably, if you, if you have to pick one thing, it's probably enjoying the beautiful beaches that we have. We have in our own backyard, people from all over the world come to see our beaches. And sometimes we don't take advantage of the beauty we have right, right here. It's so interesting, right? And I think it's, I have so many buddies that live in, in Chicago and New York and California right. and they're like, dude, you must be like be living on South beach. I'm like, no, yeah. actually yeah. I probably go to the beach like only a handful of times during the year. But it's so true. We have such amazing places here yeah. in South Florida. And I was, I was, as we were kind of creating these questions, I was like, that's such a funny, a funny question. <laughs> and to me, this past week, actually, you know, my fiance and I was running some errands and we were out late, late at night. And we went to Piker's Bakery at like 2 a.m. And I don't think you're <laughs> Miami until you've gone to Piker's Bakery like yeah. past midnight. For some reason, yeah. the cafecito and then, and the, the tostada just, just hits different. Set. 
um, when it's when it's late at night. But I'd, I'd have to say that that's a that's the most Miami thing I've done. But um, the beaches, that's a good one. I don't think uh, we can we can let that one pass up. So our next little question here for our, our lightning round is uh, is also a very hard one, um, and that is it is if you could time travel to any era, any any generation, any era, which one would you choose and why? That's another one. Uh, that's a hard one. I I guess you know if I had to go back in time, why not to wouldn't want to live. I'd like to go back and speak to some people and come back to where I'm at now. But it's really if I had time back, I'm always been fascinated with what what Tom Brokaw called the the greatest generation. Uh, those people before born before 27 who went through the First World War, who went through the Depression, who went through the Second World War, um, and just how this you know just to go back to talk to. The leaders at the time, whether it was Churchill, um, FDR, or just the extraordinary men and women of this country who helped change, uh, what does the world would have been different if, if this if this if this nation did not come together? And sure. um, it's really just amazing leaders, uh, an amazing generation. I do think it's tagged exactly right, the greatest generation. Uh, but to go back in the, probably in the forties during the world, world War II. And how a community and how a nation rallied around with with the men going overseas, the women going to the factories, and how we just gelled as one, I think was extraordinary. So that would be the time that I I would be fascinated about. Yeah, it's such an interesting time, right? Because we see it in the movies, we read about it a lot, and I I can't imagine actually being there and and living through that time, even if it was for a day, a few weeks. Um, Interesting question I'm going to throw at you. I asked this to one of our previous guests. What do you think one of these um, uh, great American politicians that, that helped this country be where it is today, take, for example, Abraham Lincoln. Um, what do you think if Abraham Lincoln could be alive today, what do you think yeah. he would say about our country? Would he be wow. surprised? Would he has... be disappointed? Would, what do you think he would say of where we are? You know, I think if someone, one of the great, great presidents of the past came back I think they'd be exceptionally proud of where we've come as a nation. You know, we have, you, you hear the rhetoric, you hear the stuff on the news, um, but but where we've come from and where we are as, as, a, as, a, as a society, um, I think our founding fathers would be exceptionally proud. You know, yeah. that's that, that, the struggles that we go through are the struggles of democracy. It's not, they always said democracy is not easy. Um, so to have people who have free speech um, and live in a free world, uh, I think it's I think it's special, and I think they would be exceptionally proud. I think they'd be shocked at some things, but I yeah. think they'd be exceptionally proud of uh, of where we've come and, and the groundwork uh, and the foresight that they had. My God, to, uh, to to lay to lay the foundation of the beautiful country we live in. Yeah, I think they would see a car and say, "What in the yeah. world is that?" Or, yeah. or phone, right? What what is this? <laughs> yeah, a, a phone, which people say that has more power than. Uh, than the, the the spaceship that hit the moon. Uh, it's just amazing nowadays where we are with technology, and what's amazing is how rapidly it's changing. Yeah, you know, yeah. and and when when you know when we think about this kind of stuff, something that comes to mind is uh, you know we we can at least now can never actually go back in time or go forward in time. So it kind of brings us to that that you know kind of cliche saying that you, we have to live in the present, and I think that's a a beautiful reminder that we can only do as good as we can now, but also learn from our history. Right, our history is our, our best teacher, and what has happened, what hasn't worked, so we can avoid those things moving forward. But uh, anyway, that was great. I think those two uh, lightning round warm up questions were a lot of fun. Um, but now, uh, Mr. Hodge, tell us 
a little bit about your journey that took you to where you are today, President CEO of the Children's Trust, which is an incredible uh, organization here in Miami-Dade County and so pivotal into who we are as Floridians and, and you know, people who live in Miami. You had a very interesting past. I, I, I will say, and I have to admit that you almost didn't make the podcast as a guest because I saw you went to FSU and I'm a, you know, yeah. proud of you. So I made the exception. I had to make yeah. the exception. Gabe was telling me, Anthony, we have to do it. We have to do it. Yes. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. But, but yeah, you have a very, um, very beautiful history, very uh, interesting journey to get to where you got today. So why don't you share with us a little bit of, of uh, how you got here? Well, I appreciate it. The, uh, so like I said earlier, I was born and raised in Miami, uh, grew up here in the, you know, born late sixties, grew up here in the seventies and eighties in my youth. And Miami isn't the city it is today. Miami back then was somewhat rural, had wonderful parents who came to this country. Both of my parents are from the middle East. My father was at a very young age, became blind at one. And, um, and it really was a lot of people who helped him out to get him to this country. Uh, he came to this country, ended up getting his doctorate degree, uh, you know, lived himself out of poverty. Him and him and my mother came. They lived. In my my two, got two older brothers who do very well in their own right for in their different fields, and we came back to. They, I was born here in Miami, and you know we didn't have much money at the time. But I think as many people say, people who don't have money and grew up. Um, you didn't know any different as a child. I had a wonderful childhood with with two loving parents, three brothers, and a great you know a great a very great community. I went through the Day County public school system. Um, and then I went on to Miami Day College, went to Florida State, got my degree in education, came back, started teaching, also then continued to pursue a degree in business. So I went to University of Miami, I received my MBA. Um, and then after that, I went to NOVA for postgrad uh, for educational leadership. And I was at a pivot point. I was going to go to finance the banking industry once I got my MBA. Um, and I really just enjoyed working with children and families and, lead, and always wanted to lead a school. That was my dream. Uh, so I became an assistant principal at a middle school and a high school, uh, then got became a principal in middle school. And then I got my dream job really at that time was to become back the principal of the high school I graduated from. So I returned to Southwest as the principal. Um, it was a school that a phenomenal school, uh, in the middle of Miami and Westchester, just a great school, great community. Um, but it wasn't living up to its potential uh, on the school grades. It was a C it dropped to a D everybody was concerned it was going to stay a D or a C. And, you know, it was the mindset of why should it not be an A? Why should it not be the highest performing school in the district? Um, so it took a lot of work, built a phenomenal team, uh, and we changed it. We went in and we were the highest performing school. We became an A, and not only we, we weren't a one-hit wonder, we hit the A and we sustained the A and uh, delivered excellence, started driving the, the, the rigorous curriculum, the AP courses, the gifted programs, uh, athletics activities, a whole well, so the students have a well-rounded experience. And it was great. And in 2011, I got a tap to go down to the district office where I was working in labor relations and uh, was there a couple of years. And then I came to the central region for a year and in the south region where I oversaw the schools and the principals. So they reported to me. So I had 100 schools in the central, 100 schools in the south. And then I was tapped to go back downtown to be the assistant superintendent and chief negotiator for all the labor unions and oversee compensation in Miami-Dade County. Public schools has the second large employer group besides the state itself. So working with five labor unions, it, it was um, it, it was difficult work, but rewarding work. Um, I learned a great deal. And then the trust opened, and it was someone uh, someone sent me an email regarding it. There were some conversations before. 
I didn't think much about it. I actually deleted the job, the job description. I, I deleted it. I went and like a week later, I was thinking about it. So let me look at that. Uh, and I applied and, you know, there was, didn't know much about the trust as a, as a principal, we had a health connect school, uh, the, the clinic in the school. So I knew about them from, from the outside. Um, and there was about, I think 120 people had applied and got down to 15 very qualified people. And it worked its way through, and um, I ended up having the honor and the privilege of leading the trust. And I have a 33-member board that's built in statute with all the, the mayor's seat, superintendent, university presidents. The governor has seven seats. So there's a lot of people that dictate, a lot of my position and, uh, that they hold, and institutions uh, have a seat at the trust. And it really is how do we help children and families. We've got a phenomenal, phenomenal team. Um, and we do some amazing work to help children and families because if we really, you know, we talk about you're going to pay for children one way or the other. You can do it smart and do it on the front end and do it early, uh, which is physically responsible and also socially and morally responsible to take care of your children. Or you're going to pay for it in the back end with different types of costs to society on the back end. So we have done an amazing job and we have we're celebrating now our 20 year anniversary, the Children's Trust. We've had this campaign this year. And if you really look at the data trends in this community where they've gone to 20 years, they are all significantly trending in the right direction. So very, very proud of the trust, very proud of the accomplishments um, and love being in Miami. You know, I tell people all the time, Miami, sometimes nationally or throughout the state, get a bad rap. But we are a phenomenal community. We are a giving community. We are a loving community. Uh, we are a very diverse community, and the rest of the United States will look like us in 20 or 30 years. So if we do it right here, we set the roadmap for everybody else. Absolutely, James. And I, I, I was, okay. as I was listening to your story, I, I couldn't help but realize that you, you share this trait with so many, many you know, of our guests that we've had on the past, and, and that's the ability to, to lean into a passion, to take a risk, even if it doesn't look so, so straight and narrow. You, know, you, you, you got your MBA, you're going to go into finance that may have... Yeah looked a little bit more stable it may have looked a little bit more um you know traditional if you will but you decided to lean into your passion with helping children then you went to become an administrator in the miami Dade public school system and i think that's that's so interesting right because i feel like a lot of people listening to this podcast people like us that maybe are graduating from high uh, from high school from college going into post-grad they're like okay what do i do do i take the the easy route do i go into if i studied finance do i go get a baking job or but they might have a passion in photography right or, or an art and that's so that's so much of what we talk about here at the Mindset Podcast, and you're such an an, uh, an ideal ideal uh, uh, example of this. And I want to talk to you about that for a second. And what advice would you give to someone in our position, right? Maybe maybe you know, 20 years ago, 40 years ago, whenever you were making that decision of going out and okay, I have in my MBA, what's next? Like, what was going through your mind? What advice would you give someone um, in that position to really go out and take that risk? Yeah, good question. You know, and I love the mindset podcast because it really is mindset. You know, when you start going through these things, no, no one, I never thought, I, I never thought I'd go back to be the principal the school I graduated from. I never thought <laughs> I'd be the CEO. Uh, it's just, it, things just happen. But reflecting on all the positions I've had, every leadership position starting, I was never prepared for any one of my positions. I always felt that I was grossly underprepared. But you apply and you go and you get the job and you rise up and you step up to the next ladder. Then you go for another job that you may not necessarily be prepared for. Um, and you just got to put yourself out there. If you do not put, and it's an uncomfortable place to be. And, and But 
as you know, and as you, you see from all when when people talk, it, it is through the struggle where you grow. It is through the being uncomfortable where you actually grow. Weird. And that's a, that's not an easy position to voluntarily put yourself in. Uh, so you got to continue just being hungry and driven. And I, you know, I one thing for me, and I, I've always prided myself. I think I've done a phenomenal job in building teams. You know, you put. I've always hired people much smarter than me. And the the trait that I try to find is give me someone who's hungry, give me someone who's driven, give me everything else you can teach. Give me right. someone who's hungry, who has some common sense, and the rest of it you can teach. But it really is that hunger, that drive to get to the next level. That you know, it's not everything's not given to you. You have to go and get it, and uh, and that's what separates people apart. I think I I didn't mention when I first got my first job, I could not become an assistant principal in this community, just because at the time, the demand was huge, and a job open and three hundred people would apply for it, and it would be hard. But I wanted it, so I mean, I went. I worked for free. I went all summer. I volunteered. I told them I, I'll work all all day, eight hours a day, the entire for six weeks in the summer. Um, and, and, and after school for that whole year, whatever I can volunteer, whatever I didn't have the experience, I wouldn't put myself out there. And I think people see that. And that's how I got my first job is that, you know, that, that I volunteered, the numbers came up in the school, they're adding another system principal and they gave it to me. Um, but it really is going after what you want. And again, it's uncomfortable, but especially this younger generation that you're coming up, coming up, just want to remind you. Just go for it. Do not let anyone box you in. Do not let anyone put a ceiling on you. Do not let everyone tell you what you think you should do. Right. You have your gut. Go with your gut. And at the young age, if there's any time to make mistakes, it is now. Go out there and just do it. And, you know, even mistakes aren't mistakes. You learn from things that you do wrong. Um, so I just encourage you to stay passionate, stay hungry, and make a difference. And, and, and most importantly, too, what I found, stay true to yourself and your moral compass and your integrity. That's that's the key too. Uh, stay hungry, but stay true to who you are. I love it. I love it because you're where you're explaining is you were scrappy. You were kind of like, yep. hey, move into the pool and I'll figure out how to swim later. Like let's just go, yep. you know. And I I love that that mindset. But I I have to come back and and ask you some more about how you were able to transform with your team, Southwest High School, from being a C D school to an A school because. I can imagine it's more of a shift of mindset of an environment more than actual actual curriculum. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, yeah. but I, I really want to pick your mind. And, and how did you do that? How long did it take? What kind of things did you have to do to change a D school to an A school and keep it consistent with A? Yeah, uh, that that was that was probably the hardest time, the 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 most I've ever worked, putting sixteen hour days, seventeen hour days. Um, for a very long period of time. And it is a mindset. My first staff meeting, it's the same kids have been coming through that door in that community for the last 65 years. The kids don't change. Right. So it really was, how do you have the adults change their mindset? How It's all about expectations to the kids. As you know, kids will run through the wall for you if they know that you care for them. So how do you, you tra how do you let the, the, the kids know, the student body know that you care for them? We're going to push you. We're going to push a rigorous curriculum. We're going to get you well-rounded. We expect discipline. We expect punctuality, attendance, respect, and to create that culture takes forever. And you'll never get there. It takes years and years and years. And one of my other, probably, you know, getting to the A was a, a very proud moment. But another proud moment is the year I left, we, were, we, we, we had a huge amount of number. We, I think we had the largest number of students with disabilities in our school, uh, in the district, and we had the largest number of ESOL students in our, stu in our school. And with those, we still hit the A. But they also, going back to the culture, 
at homecoming, the king and the queen, which was elected by the student body, were two students who were intellectually disabled. So to have a, a student body uh, to create a climate of care, of love, of helping each other out, where the students that were the best buddies program, all this, they, they all walked around during lunch, hung out. And to create that type of environment, that probably made me prouder than, than, than receiving the A. But really demanding things from the teachers and holding people accountable and what you measure gets done is looking at data um, and creating also with the student mindset that, you know, we put rules in that are now district rules that if you had 10 or more absences, you cannot wear, I don't want you to wear a school uniform. You're not playing a sport. If you're getting in trouble, if you're not, if you're not, if you don't have your grades up, if you don't have your test scores up. And then also letting all the coaches and you you know, you have hundreds of coaches, club sponsors, band, cheerleading. Everybody aligned, speaking the same language, looking at the same data points. So if a kid goes from the six core teachers to football, to band, the same teacher saying, hey, listen, you have three tardies, you have, you're, you're close to passing the FCAT, uh, whatever it is, it's really alignment of everyone doing the same thing in a nurturing environment. There's a lot to it, but it was really a struggle. But I think through the struggle, it's probably if you look at the team that year or about two, when we hit the A, uh, people still remember us 20 years later. We're still, we're still talking about it. Uh, cause you know, when you go through hard times with people and you fight very hard with people to push things, that uh, builds a bond. So the teachers, the, the crew there, so very South was a very special place, but it was, it's leadership. And as you know, too, you know, you met a lot of people, you can't do it by yourself. So as a leader, you got to build a team, um, you have to build a very large team. And then you all have to be rolling in the same direction. Well, I got to tell you, I think one of the things you forgot to, to fix at Southwest is, I don't know if you remember, but the, um, the bleachers from the basketball quarter, like yeah. half yeah. foot. So yeah. funny story. I was playing basketball there, right? We were talking about basketball before we jumped on the air that Gabe and I played basketball in high school. And I was playing a basketball game there at Southwest and I'm running down the sideline close to the bleachers. And this huge, huge guy from the other team, my opponent shoves me like literally like, like if he's a football player, he shoves me into the bleachers and I go head first. And of course it doesn't help that the bleachers are like, about that far yes. from yes. the actual court. So I go ahead. I almost lost a lung at Southwest. So if you can yeah. ever go back, if you go back to the school board or whatever, if you can maybe just extend that a little bit more, the bleachers from the court, I, I think uh, you'll save a lot of lungs and, and things from falling off. But they did. That, that was also another area of improvement that took a lot of time is, you know, when you have a building that was born in 19, that was made in 1956, it's yeah. really hard to bring that up to speed and the cleanliness and the beautification. But the gym, we spent a lot of work on that. Um, as much as you can. It's a small gym. Yeah, yeah. It, um, that's, but it's, it is a beautiful gym. I did want to ask yeah. you, you know, when you applied to the Children's Trust, how much would you say was um, relationship with the people making the decisions or, or the networking that would go behind the scenes? Because, you know, a lot of times we, we talk here on the podcast about your really relationships are everything. Uh, they're, they're probably more important than currency right now. So when you mentioned you worked for free, we yeah. encourage that sometimes, right? Hey, as young people that we are now, uh, don't worry about the money so much. Really work for free. Get your name out there like you were like scrappy. So I'm curious to know if in such a uh, important position as, as the one you have, how much throughout the application process was just you knowing the people really well who were making the decisions? Yeah, so that, that's the scary part of that job in my life is because at the school system, even though it's 40,000 people, I knew everybody and I knew where to go and I knew the players and I knew how to get things done. I knew no one at the trust. I knew no one on the board. I knew no one who worked internally at the trust. I didn't know a th- I didn't know a thing at the trust. So this was just a blind leap of faith. So when I 
I remember um, walking into my first interview and just shaking hands. But and part of the trust, we are a government agency. Everything's public. So the mm. interview was public. So there's like an audience that is watching the interviews and there are so many people in the room. Wow. So I'm shaking hands and I don't know who I'm shaking hands with. So I'm just shaking hands with all kinds. I was shaking hands with the secretary. I didn't know she was on the board. But finally, everyone, everyone got seated. I yeah. figured out the 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 twelve the people around, and then it has to still go back to a thirty three member board. So I do thank the board because I I, and that's why I also uh, I've had this conversation about many different uh, jobs that have opened up throughout this community. Is I think you got to trust the process of interviewing. The board was, I think, bright enough. Um, well, maybe not bright because they selected me, but that's it. They're they're bright enough to. Um, to keep the process open and not pigeonhole or say, I want this, I want that. Because I think some people did want, there was like one, two or three, and it wasn't me, but there were some t- top two or three or four players. And they Wait. ended up, they went with an unknown that no one knew. And it was a huge leap of faith for them. Um, so I think going through the process and not saying that this may be the best one or internal or external, but they really went through and they were very good. They spent months just going through interviews and getting feedback. But they took a huge leap of faith in selecting me because I was a, a very much unknown um, throughout the process. Yeah, that's so interesting. And I couldn't help but, but think about this this movie while you're talking. I recently watched The Internship. I'm not sure if you guys have watched that. Yeah. Um, but basically, it's it's a movie about these two guys, Owen Wilson and Vince Vaughn. Yes. Um, I'm giving you the synopsis here. that they, they, yeah. they get fired from their traditional sales job. They take an internship at Google you know, these old heads that probably have no business in the technology company and they're in their internship and obviously everyone else there are probably recent college graduates. And one of the characters that comes up to them, kind of like, you know, what you're saying, like you're shaking hands with everybody. This guy's like, hey, like this, these guys seem important because they, to him, he thought, oh, these guys are much older. These guys are probably, he's probably a manager, uh, you know, some sort of supervisor here at Google. Let me get to know him. And it's kind of interesting and it's funny because, you know, as, as he starts to talk to them and he realizes that he, they're interns just like him, He's like, oh, I just wasted my time, you know, talking to you, yeah. and you're not, you're not anybody important. Uh, let me go find yeah. someone else that's more important. And yeah. I, I, I say that because you know, Anthony and I talk about it all the time, not only having a network of people that may be in a place where you want to be one day, and and you know, getting to know the, the higher ups and and the people that are leading this community today, but getting to know the, your peers, right? Because you know, one day yeah. those peers of yours are going to be in those positions that may be able to help you get a position or, you know, get you a job or, or be able to connect you with somebody. Um, and I think that's so important. I, I, I couldn't help but, but think about that when uh, when you were talking about that story. Um, but I want to scale back a little bit. You did mention culture back when you were at Southwest about, you know, at the prom um, and the prom queen, king and queen. And I want to talk about that for a second because I feel like as I've heard your story from Southwest to now the Children's Trust, building teams has been a pivotal part of what your role is cool. at, I'm sure, both of those uh, locations and both of those yeah. positions. Speak on the culture and how important the culture has to be in in order to to set the expectations, right? Because as a leader, we say here at the Mindset Podcast, yeah. and I'm sure you can agree, a leader, one casts a vision for what the organization is to do, but they're also a servant to the people next to them and underneath them. And, you know, right. as as much as you can uphold that role as being there for your peers, for your employees, for your team, setting that culture is a part of that. How important has it been for your success with getting Southwest to a D, now to an A school, and with the success of the Children's Trust with 33 board members, how pivotal and crucial has it been to set um, a, a lasting culture 
um, for the people at those organizations. Yeah, I, I think culture is everything. There's a great quote I saw a, a couple of months ago. It talks about culture eats strategy for lunch. You can have the best strategy. You you need to have you need to have the culture. Um, yeah. Going back, I think you mentioned about the the movie you were watching about shaking hands too. I also think it's critically important. This goes to culture. Is that at Southwest too? The security, the custodians, the bus drivers, those people who they they have to be treated with a, a high level of respect um, from from myself, from the team, from the student body, from anybody else. Part of culture too is that you respect everybody, no matter what their role is. I'm not as a CEO. I'm not important in that, no more than that custodian. I want that custodian to bring their A job, their A game. I want them to feel empowered. I want them to feel cared for. And I think part of being a leader is having great empathy that you care for each and every one of them. Um, there was a scenario the other. I went back to Southwest for alumni association. There was like three or four custodians knew I was there and they wanted to come say hi to me. And someone would say, "Hey, you got to go out there. They're, they're they're knocking on the door." So I went out there and. There, Many older ladies and older gentlemen, but in, in honest, I, I don't speak Spanish. Well, uh, I don't speak Spanish, and but they don't speak English. But we had a great bond. You know, there, there it was a group that they just knew I cared for them. If they were going through, a, everybody in your organization, no matter where you lead, everybody will go through a tough time, whether mm -hmm. a divorce, whether a health issue, whether a death in a family. And at those times, you more you need to be there for those. Uh, and I think knowing and showing up as a leader to uh, be there during those tough times also strengthens their commitment to you and the organization and the culture long term. Uh, yeah. So I think culture, no matter which, when, whatever position you are in empathy as a leader, are huge. And I don't think we talked about that enough. We talk about strategic plans. We talk about all that. But people need to want to come to work, feel valued coming to work. You want to get the best out of them. Um, and you, you want it to really, you know, that's where they spend a majority of their day. You want it that they enjoy being there. Um, so we work hard in, but culture is something very difficult to navigate. I mean, it's not something, it's not easily measured. It's very difficult to navigate. It'll never be where you want it to be. Uh, then you'll have great days and you'll have bad days. Uh, but you just keep on pushing, you keep on pushing day in and day out to try to create the culture that you would like to work in. It's interesting, yeah. right? Because culture, like you said, is not putting a coffee machine or a vending machine yeah. or, you know, an ice cream cone stand every Monday, right? Like that's not culture. Culture is what you did, right? Really connecting and engaging with your people and all people from all different positions. And, and that humility that you uh, show everybody is something that I think a lot of leaders today are missing, that humility aspect of it. And I think that plays a big part of, of culture and making people feel wanted, loved, appreciated. And, and of course, investing in your people like you did makes them want to come back and, and the long term benefits you and your organization. So it's it's great and very refreshing to hear that, uh, Mr. Hodge. And, you know, I'm, I'm curious to know now, what, what are some of the struggles? You mentioned a few already, but maybe you have other examples that you can share with us of um, some struggles you've been through, some examples of some hardships that you've gone through and how you ever overcame those uh, struggles. Because a lot of what we what we talk about here and we share with our audiences, the success is a very bumpy road. It's a, it's a long journey. It could be lonely at times and it's not easy and it shouldn't be easy. And that's why there's right. the one percentage of the world because it, it's hard to be good, successful at, at something and, and master your craft. So I'm sure you have your fair share of struggles yeah. and challenges you face, and maybe you can just share a few with us. Yeah, you know, the, I think every leader has struggles. As you talked about, every once in a while we get together a group of CEOs, it, it could be a very lonely place. You know, people, you, you are, as a leader, you're, you're juggling many different things, and nobody really sees all the different things you see, and not, no fault of their own. Everybody has different assignments. Um, but I think the, probably the, the top two 
you know, leadership comes usually during crisis. I think the hardest times for me was, were during 2008 when the, the bottom broke and you're leaving school and all the funding dries up. And, uh, and you have to probably, you know, we're looking at reducing teachers, cutting programs, um, everything that you got to deal with. And it, when you're, when you're leading, those are, those are your people. You don't want to lose your people. You want to try to support people that they're during, during tough times when you need to show up for people. Uh, and probably, and probably during COVID again too, when everything went south really quickly. And, uh, and I think that's where leadership really shines in 2008 again, the bubble broke. Um, and then you really, the hard part there was going back to trying to make Southwest an A is that the bubble did break and we're going through hard times, but that's no fault of the kids. They still need a phenomenal education. They still need to be supported. And we're still trying to drive home the academic success and prepare them for life. Um, and the teachers are going through very difficult times. So how do you keep going back to, how do you keep the culture, which is even more important when everything's falling apart? Um, and at home, they're having issues with, you know, just paying the mortgage and all the stressors that they face day in, day out. The teachers are coming in, the kids are coming with, the parents are shouldering it. And how do you keep navigating through that and try the best you can? And it's easy in hindsight to look back and say, oh, I should have done this, this. But when you, you know, you deal with the best information you have at that time. And you're trying to make you're trying to make things happen. So I think uh, it really is focusing on culture and climate during those hard times. It's not the X's and O's. It's, and it's really just how do you keep people through motivating them? Know that you just keep on pushing. We will get out of it. Um, but during that time, I'm pleased to say that's when we started the the upswing to an A. Even during the toughest times, that's when people stepped up. So I'm very proud of that accomplishment. And then when COVID hit. I mean, COVID kind of, you know, from one day to the next, the nice thing with the trust is that we laid a lot of work in infrastructure and technology. The day COVID, it was funny, two weeks before COVID happened, I was, my phone, my phone on my desk was the last one out. We, we went to teams before then, before right. COVID, and I was screaming because I, I didn't like, I liked my phone on my desk, but I, the phone <laughs> left. But when COVID hit, we literally just took our laptops and everybody walked home, walked away. Yeah. Um but during COVID is also when this community, when families and parents were struggling, when the, the basic necessities of baby food, diapers, um, food for the table, the mental health issues, the isolation, and all that starts coming. And, you know, as, as a trust, that's what we're here for. We're here to serve the community, especially during those difficult times. So I think we showed up and we showed up phenomenally well. I think going back to both those instances, during a crisis, there's also opportunity. I think we came out stronger and after 2008, and I think the trust came out phenomenally stronger uh, and even seen the community in a much better light after COVID. So every, every crisis, every, every crisis has an opportunity to shine and has a silver lining somewhere in there. And if you can take advantage of it and navigate it right, and you can weather the storm, you will come out stronger. And I think that was really kind of the vision is how do we get through this? There are some things too that you, that work in your benefit. There are sometimes sacred cows you can't touch, but during a crisis you can touch it. So things that you may want to get done, get done, get done during a crisis. Um, and then you just really set your your um, your organization up for great success as you come out. Yeah, Mr. Roger, I think you I think you said it best. Where it's it's easy to lead people when everyone's rooting for you, right? When the team is yeah. winning, it's easy to lead people. But when yeah. when you know. Shit, it's the fan, you know, for lack of a better word. It's I, those are the times that you need people like yourself to 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 step up, to to lead the crowd, and to be the example, right? And I, I'm a firm believer that leaders go first, um, yeah. and that you know you're the ones that we need to set the example, and we need to be yeah. to be the ones setting 
um, what it looks like for the people uh, underneath us, aside from us, uh, above from us, to be able to go and follow us. So I think that's so important. Um, and as we wrap up here, I wanted to ask you this question, and I, I feel like you've already, you know, been been kind of, you know, writing this, um, writing your story on this, and, and your legacy has already been um, writing itself, especially with all the work that you've done at Southwest, and I can't imagine all the work that you've been doing now with with the trust. But what is uh, the legacy that you would like to leave behind? You know, when everything's all said and done, when when you're long gone, when your when your kids are talking about you, when your grandkids are talking about you, what what legacy do you want them to remember you by, and what do you want to leave behind for the next generations to come? Yeah, that's a great question because we, we, you know, I think we we all think about the next steps and and where we're going to be and what do we want to leave behind. I think it's a couple of things. One is. Again, I've always prided myself. I, I, I never said I'm the smartest person in the room. I've never said I've always prided myself surrounding people that were phenomenal and building teams. Even at Southwest, one reason we had great success at Southwest and all, all, all the organizations I led throughout the school system was, I think I built. I think one of my one of my strengths I can identify talent pretty well. Um, so to get people in, and then also just to promote them, not try to keep them down. They, you want them to leave you. You want them to go out there and shine. And the more you get that, I, it became greater success than more talent when they come to me because they heard that I would develop them. So people were getting out there and I was getting uh, an influx of people who had great talent. And I think the greatest pride, the biggest bedroom I had is people to go out from me and go, go out and do great things. So building talent, building teams and building the next generation, I think is the, be- the, the something I'd like to be remembered by. I also like to be remembered and I try my best and we all have our days is that you treat people well, you, you always treat people well that, you know, you all, everybody has your tough days. And when, you know, during employees and sometimes employees have the tough days, but really trying to peel back that layer is why are they hurting aside? Is there something going on at home? How can I help you? How can we help you develop? There's no gotcha. It's really, how do you get the best out of people? How do you maximize people's talent, minimize their weaknesses and build a team that offset one another? Um, so it's really kind of building team, taking care of people and how you treat people, people at all levels, not because you want something from somebody, but again, the person who cleans the floor, the person, the crossing guard, whoever it is. Uh, and I try to instill that in our kids, uh, that, you know, you need to treat everybody with a great deal of respect. Don't have to agree with anybody, everybody, but you got to treat everybody with respect. Um, but I do think just going back, I mean, with with the two of you and, and your your future, you know, leadership is great. And I think, I think people going back to our, how we started off, just need to be, again, be hungry, go out and try. One thing is reading leadership and one thing is getting the strategy, which is huge. And I think we've all been to leadership summits and classes, and I think that's great. And it's a good part of it. Well, but part, some of it go, the, the, the best part of leadership is when you fail. I mean, you learn that what I've learned the most is the times that I've, I've been knocked down and, uh, and how do you get back up and how do you go through it? So keep, keep on. And if something gets, if you have, a, if you hit a roadblock, figure out a way around it. If you get knocked down again, figure a way around it. Life will go on. Um, you just, just do the best and just stay hungry. Again, stay true to your course. You you don't have to have success on someone else's account. You can let elevate everybody throughout the process as well. Mm-hmm. Mic drop, boom! There we have it. Yeah. Uh, so many, you know, inc- incredible nuggets of, of wisdom yeah. that you share with us in these, you know, yeah. almost forty minutes. We're so thankful for your time. Uh, we're so thankful and and honored to to have you as our hundredth episode. And I think this was a fantastic podcast where we got to know a little bit 
about you and, and what your story looks like and how you were able to accomplish so many great things in, in such a short amount of time. And we know that this is um, just a beginning for you. We were Gabe yeah. and I and all of us here at the Mindset Podcast, we're rooting for you, your success, sure. what's next for you. I'm sure you have a lot of great things ahead of you. And like we always like to say, now you are part of the Mindset family. And we hope to see you around. For those of you who might want to stay in touch with you or reach out to you or maybe folks who are interested in the in the Children's Trust, what's the best way to reach out to you? Yeah, it's easy. I mean, just the Trust website, our social media, we, uh, we're on all the social media platforms. I am the Trust. We have teams monitoring all the stuff, myself and the team daily. And one thing we pride ourselves back with everybody is that we get back to everybody. Uh, it'll never disappear so anyone reaches out we're happy to happy to speak to anyone about leadership potential opportunities or just how to benefit children or families in miami-dade county absolutely well thank you so much yep. again uh for the great work that you're doing and thank you for joining the mindset podcast thank you gentlemen exceptionally proud of both of you keep up the great work what is up everyone thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the mindset podcast we hope you enjoyed this episode with our rock star guest if you were listening to this episode make sure to check us out on youtube for the next one and please make sure to leave us a five-star review and share this episode with friends family even your pets and we'll see you all at the next episode